travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia. This is episode 47, Trekking the Himalayas with Robin Boosted. I'm Trevor Ranges, speaking to you from Bangkok, Thailand, and with me always is my partner, Scott Coates. How are you doing today, Scott? Hey, I'm doing good, man. I'm enjoying some beach life about three hours south of Bangkok in Hue Hin, and luckily we can still do this with the uh, the great powers of the internet. And, uh, you know, Nepal is famous for having the world's highest peaks, the Himalayas, and most travelers know the country as a hotspot for trekking and perhaps even have such a trip on their bucket list. But Nepal and trekking is much more than just about big mountains. This small Himalayan nation, Trevor, is actually, if you were to flatten this thing, it would be as large as the U.S. And at just 230 kilometers from the southern border to the northern border, it rises from 70 meters to about 8,848 in the north. It's some like crazy, crazy uh, vertical gain. Um, the country has pretty much every climactic zone. And of course, is home to the Himalayas. And our guest today, Robin Boosted, has been working on what truly must be one of the world's longest walks for more than a decade. And it's the Great Himalayan Trail. It goes through Pakistan, India, Nepal, Bhutan, and Tibet, more than 6,000 kilometers. And I've known about it for a bit, and it looks incredible. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to chatting with him. Wow. You know, he must uh, have pretty strong legs walking for more than a decade. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, right. Yeah, that, right. no, I mean it's it's incredibly impressive what he's done, and and I yeah, would love to get yeah. over there and do it just simply because uh, you know before I moved to Thailand, I, I really used to enjoy trekking and camping, and and I've done a, a bit of the Pacific Coast Trail in California, and I've done a bunch of trekking in New Zealand. Um, and, and I've done a little bit here in Southeast Asia, but, uh, you know, there's something really special about just getting outdoors and, and doing some good exercise and, and getting to see wildlife and, and getting up close and with nature. And, and this trail must just go through some amazing villages and you, you probably learn a lot as well as see a lot. I'm sure it must be. You could probably get a master's degree at the end of it in anthropology. And, you know, I've been lucky enough since 2006 to visit Nepal about eight times. And I think I've done five or six treks in various regions. And it is a magical experience to walk day after day, village to village with, you know, a crew carrying your gear and, and doing the cooking, having awesome views every day, meeting great people. And it's funny, while I felt like I'd done these big treks, when I'd look at a map in Nepal later, I'd, you know, covered like a speck, like a couple centimeters. So while it's a small country in people's mind, it, it really is massive. Yeah, you know, and, and what I'm thinking, because we talked to, to Billy, the mountain, she's a mountain climber, you know, a couple yeah, of weeks ago. a few months, months ago. ago. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Uh, just thinking about doing some of this trekking, and I know that some of it is high elevation, and, and I know weather mm -hmm. is certainly a factor. Um, so yeah. I'm sure that doing any part of this trail that, that goes through India or Nepal or Bhutan um, would probably require some some decent physical fitness and probably some pretty good gear too. you know, some hikey, hiking shoes and, and a good coat to protect you from wind and rain and snow. Um, it just seems <laughs> yeah. like uh, it's not just a walk in the park. 
Definitely not. And uh, before we go any further, let's quickly thank our sponsor. They are Himalayan Trails. They are an outfitter, a Nepali-based business with a Dane and an Australian that are kind of at the helm. They've been there about 15 years, and I've worked with them personally on many levels. And if you want a quality trip in Nepal, they also do a little bit in Tibet and Bhutan. These guys don't skimp. They don't cut corners. They're all about safety and quality. So whether it's a, a mountain biking or a rafting trip or a wildlife one or maybe something that incorporates all of those things uh, they do an absolutely fantastic uh, job so thanks very much for Himalayan Trails for sponsoring this and you're absolutely right Trevor like uh, the train you're covering on this Himalayan Trail I haven't really been up that way I've been close to it yeah I mean the comfortable walking shoes the tent and the stove I think are the the least of your concerns it, it must be just an incredibly arduous undertaking yeah but you know at the same time I mean we talked to Mads about uh, Nepal several months back right and he was telling yeah. me about how you know there's there's desert and there's jungle there's rainforest uh, mm. so and, and I think you know considering how long this great Himalayan trail is that that Robin has developed uh, you know you probably need totally different gear for for, for different parts of, of the trail. Yeah. And, and it seems to me like, you know, you certainly want to do some planning beforehand to figure out, you know, what area you're going to go to, what type of gear you're going to need, whether or not you're going to need guides or maps or, or what type of camping equipment or what hotel you're going to stay on. So hopefully talking to, to Robin today, he can shed some light on, on some of these disparate issues that you might need to know before you, you set out on your own trek. Yeah, and uh, let's get into it. Our guest today is truly one of the world's great modern travel pioneers. You know, in a day and an age when many places are receiving throngs of travelers, you can get a Google Street View of much of the world and photos of seemingly everywhere are just a click away. Uh, Robin Boosted has gone well beyond the typical guidebook and travel website. Over the last decade, he's pioneered a more than 6,000 kilometer trekking route that spans the entire Himalayan mountain range, east to west or west to east, whichever direction you like, providing travelers the opportunity to navigate some of the world's most remote and toughest terrain. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, Robin. Where are you now, Robin? Uh, I live in Barcelona now. Um, oh, wow. I have a new life uh, with a family and uh, compared, to, compared to being in Australia, that's four years ago that that move was uh -huh. made. But oh, wow. I'm in Nepal um, still very, very regularly. I go there again on uh -huh. Monday. I'm, I'm there every couple of months. Wow. Um, and try to spend as, as much time there as I as I can. Um, it's a bit difficult, a bit more difficult now with kids, but nothing is impossible. Cool. So when did you first visit the Himalayas, and, and kind of what really captivated you about the area? I first visited uh, in 1993, and that really was a sort of transforma transformational moment, I guess, to, to mm -hmm. see. I, I'd always love mountains, but to see the massiveness of the Himalaya and just their extent. I went to Kanchenjunga um, <clears throat> from the India side, crossed over into Nepal, spent some time there and just came away thinking uh, it was a place that I really wanted to spend more time, more than anywhere else I'd, I'd traveled and been to. It, it was a place that had struck me as somewhere very special. Um, so what, how did you get into all that? What did you do prior to that? And, and, and what motivated you to, to become, you know, like a, a mountaineer, if you will? Uh, I was a perfectly normal person. Um, hmm. And I guess at school I did outdoor stuff. Um, sometimes I go off on adventure holidays, that sort of thing, when, when, when very young. And I had a, a, a love for the outdoors. I wouldn't say that I was 
completely, you know, a, an outdoor maniac at all. But I did, I did enjoy being outdoors, whether it was cycling or walking or climbing, you know, all the different things that, that young boys do. Um, I'm not so sure that they all do them these days, but we used to do. Mm. Uh, and and I just, I guess I really wanted to try and find somewhere that could provide me with some challenges, either whether it be traveling, whether it be physical, whether it be trying to find your way linguistically and navigational through through different places. I just enjoyed everything that the Himalayas had to offer. Hmm. Very neat. Well, when people think trekking, Robin, they for the most part think Nepal. And and I was looking again at the, the, the trail site the other night and it goes through multiple countries. So I'm wondering, is Nepal really the best place to trek in the Himalayas or are other countries just as good and nice? They're all different. Um, it's a little bit like saying, is France the best place in Europe to go to? Uh, mm. Well, it is if you like France. Um, but if you want to get a flavor of, of Europe, then you don't just go to France. And Nepal certainly has the most accessible trekking areas and some really wonderful places to go and visit. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not really representative of the entire Himalaya, and there are many other places to go to um, that provide a broader uh, experience. So Bhutan, um, India, there is a vast variety uh, mm. in India, and Pakistan, plus, of course, Tibet. Um, so... You know, between those d different countries, you have a really astounding variety uh, of environment, climate, uh, cultures, people, history. I, I mean, you, you really, it's, it's perhaps more varied than a region like Europe. Um, you, you look from Arunachal Pradesh in northeast India mm -hmm. across to Pakistan and Afghanistan, and wow. Wow, you really you go from tiny tribes that have had virtually no human contact wow. in the jungles of Arunachal Pradesh, all the way through to um, you know, uh, idyllic mountain cultures. You, you might say of, of central Himalaya, huh. the 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 whole Tibetan plateau uh, is intrinsically linked to the region, and then you're into the the Muslim cultures and uh, ancient traditions of of Central Asia. And okay. Yeah, a, a, an amazing variety of, of history and culture. Cool. So it's not uh, it's not all just barren, high altitude trekking. There's some interesting villages and, and different type of terrain. Then, oh yeah, and the the GHT isn't just about one trail that that goes through the mountains. It's a trail network, um, and really, my inspiration for it was the Camino and GR networks in in Europe, where you can. They say for the Camino that your trek begins with the first step you take out of your door, out of your front door. Uh, and I really like that idea that your journey begins with the first step that you take. It doesn't begin with a particular location and it doesn't end with a particular location. Um, so the GHT is, is huge. It's a vast array of, of trails uh, and it takes people decades um, to be able to walk the whole thing, um, so I'm, you know, I'm. Yes, there are villages. Uh, yes, you can have remote mountain areas. You can spend time on rivers. You can spend time riding horses or, you know, mountain bikes. Uh, there's multiple experiences that you can have along the way. Cool. Well, where did the idea for the Great Himalaya? 
trail even come from? Uh, well, the Great Himalaya Range kind of gave its name. Yeah. Um, the, the concept of walking from Himal to Himal, so Himal is an individual um, mountain range, um, that idea had been around for a while. Uh, and even back when I first started going to the Himalaya, it was a topic of conversation that was considered you know, one of those, we've had a few beers, let's dream a little. Yeah. Um, and it, it was one of those concepts that, wow, wouldn't it be great if, but no one actually believed it was possible. Mm. Um, I had spent some time talking to friends and guides and people that have been in the industry for many, many years, and everyone believed it was just not feasible to go from Hamal to Hamal. Uh, the terrain was too difficult, there were too many challenges, too many unknowns, um, and up until 2002, you weren't actually allowed to go to a lot of the areas between the Hamals. Um, so the big change was the Chinese and Nepal governments agreed their border uh, in 2003 and in 2004, the Nepali government then opened all of its border areas to, well, to anyone, not just tourists, but it, it was free travel was allowed throughout the country. Cool. So when, when you got this idea and you decided to go for it, like where did the financing come from and how did you actually kind of officially develop it? Well, for the first four years from 2004 to, to 2008, um, I, I self-financed research trips to the different areas that you weren't previously allowed to go to. Um, I wanted to really just go and see what was there. And even then, the idea of walking from Hamal to Hamal really was a dream. It, it wasn't something. You couldn't go buy some maps um, and work out a route. So I wanted to go and have a look and see... A, what was in these places. Mm -hmm. And as I was doing that, I was um, mapping them, just basic surveys, just be able to work out where were the valleys and the villages and this kind of stuff and talk to the locals. Where are their passes? Can you cross these mountains or those mountains? Huh. Uh, and as I was going along over the four years, I began to realize that there was potentially some routes. There were still some blank bits. There were still some places that you couldn't get answers about mm -hmm. but for maybe 70 percent of the route it looked feasible um so in 2008 i thought stuff it let's have a go and you can't unfortunately in this day and age you can't get sponsorship for things before you do it you have to go do something first um and so i went off uh with a buddy in september 2008 and we started walking and it was much harder than we expected so we, had, we got caught by the winter snow mm -hmm. and we had to stop, come back again in February and start again. Um, and by the, we got to July and, and I'd finished walking across Nepal and then it was possible to get sponsorship for the other areas of the Himalaya. Okay. Um, so you, you kind of, I, I figured you've got to get some got to get some stripes before you can go out there and start canvassing hmm. for money. Right. Wow, it sounds like uh, quite an accomplishment. I, I like the fact that you said that, you know, there's different ways to experience different parts of the trail network. 
um, like biking or, or trekking or whatnot. For someone who just was like, wow, this, this sounds great. I want to go out there and do it. What would you recommend uh, like for someone who just wants to do a beginner trail or their first time you know, going to, to Nepal or, or the area and wanting to do a hike? Where would you recommend they start? And then maybe something for someone who has a little bit more experience and wants to do something a bit more challenging. Um, that's an almost impossible question to answer without having a couple of bits of kind of vital information. Um, one, when are you talking about going? Because there is somewhere to go at any time of year in the Himalaya. Uh, people often think, oh, wow, you know, it's in monsoon time, sort of July, August, it's a no-go zone. It's not true. Uh, Ladakh, it's peak season. It's a perfect time to go there. Or they say, well, December, in December and January, in the winter snows, everything is closed, and, but that, that's not true either. Um, there's plenty of lower level trials that go, go across some spectacular scenery, um, cross passes, and, and, and you get the full Himalayan experience. So first question, when do you want to go? Second question is, how long are you going to be there? Because you can go trekking for five days and have a great time. You can go trekking for five months and you can have a great time. Um, so you're obviously going to go to different places in, in that time scale. Uh, and I'm, I don't know, I've done a lot of treks. I can't remember how, how many different itineraries I've done, well, well over 100. And it's every single one has got something to offer at the right time of year. Uh, and if you're doing it in a, at a pace that suits you and in a way that suits you or, or your group of friends, um, you can have a fantastic experience almost anywhere. So uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, there's no easy one answer, that's the place to go. Um, because it, it, the Himalaya is it's much better than that. Very cool. Well, if someone wants to do a section of the trail, I mean, how do they even go about it? Can they do it on their own? Do they need to hire a trekking company? Like, Like, where do you even start with it? Okay, well, that's another question that it depends. Um, yes, you can go trekking on your own in some areas. Um, it's become more difficult in Nepal. Uh, there's been a number of incidents concerning trekkers, but really uh, incidents of the trekking industry, so the, the trekking agents and the Nepal tourism industry, really failing... Um, it's it's duty of care, I guess, to trekkers. Um, they haven't invested in in good weather system, weather prediction systems, or safe mountain safety systems. It's coming. All of these things are in the pipeline, and I hope that next year, well, this year, two thousand sixteen, we'll see some of the the systems that we take for granted trekking in in other parts of the world really start working in Nepal and then it will make it safer and, and easier for individual trekkers. At the moment, a lot of Nepal requires a minimum of two people to go trekking mm -hmm. uh, and a fair amount of paperwork um, which your trekking agent can organize. So to just land in the country with a rucksack on your back and go for a hike in the hills is surprisingly difficult. Hmm. Um, you can do it. You can go to the Everest region and you can go to the Annapurna area. Um, which have both recovered post-earthquakes uh, and, and you know, are, are perfectly safe. 
if you want to go more remote than that, it starts getting a bit tricky. Okay. Um, somewhere like India, uh, you can go trekking on your own in a lot of the northwest areas of India, so Uttarakhand, Himachal Pradesh, Ladakh. Um, they, they all offer simple trails. You need to have good navigation skills, and it really helps to speak the local language. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are also restricted areas where you have to have a minimum group size and guides and, and all the rest of it. Right. Um, See, for me, that sounds a little bit daunting. I mean, uh, having a guide obviously would be be a great way to do it. Uh, but are there good like online maps? Does your website have like a good system of maps? Could somebody do it with 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 a iPhone and Google Maps, or or is it like a little? You, you were mentioning some safety concerns. Um, you know, I don't know. I've never been around that region, but I imagine like you know any part of the the great outdoors is not without risk. Um, but uh, you know, I, I enjoy trekking, and there's got to be you know some introductory level stuff that that might be mapped well or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if it's your first time to Nepal, I would either keep it very simple and stick to the main tourist trails like Annapurna or Everest, um, or go with someone who does know what to do, uh, does speak the language. There, there are there are sixteen different language groups in Nepal and sixty different dialects. So. It, Going and learning Nepali might not actually be very useful uh, if you're going to go to an area that speaks Tibetan. Mm. Um, so you, you, it, it does help. It, the Himalaya is not like going for a walk in the Pyrenees or the Alps or, or the Great Dividing Range in Australia or, or walking the PCT in the States. It's a much higher commitment level if you want to go to remote areas. Um, let, let, but at the same time, yes, it is possible with sufficient skills and knowledge to be able to go on your own. There was a New Zealand guy a couple of years ago who went to Nepal, learned the language, spoke good Nepali, really took the time to understand um, the differences in the cultures, and he self-guided himself along a low-level route west to east across Nepal just using his iPhone. Um, So there are maps. I have maps on my website you can download. Um, I, I'm happy to provide digital versions of the guidebook for people that want to just use a phone and, and go out into the hills. Uh, I did for Stuart, but you really, I, I try to ask some questions first before we provide a lot of digital data that someone could use to get lost in the hills because there isn't the same sort of safety system that's going to come and rescue you and find you um, and bring you back to civilization if there's a problem. Mm, right, right. So that it, 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 it's easy to sit at home and think, yes, yes, I can do this in Europe or I can do this in the States, um, therefore I can go and do it in, in Nepal. And it's not necessarily true. Okay. Well, I'm sure this is a little like asking you which one of your kids is your favorite, but what are some of your favorite parts of the trail, some really standout parts that you love? Oh, <laughs> you have no idea how hard that question is. You only want this interview to be 20 <laughs> minutes, huh? Um, yeah. So, uh, look, like I said, there is, there's no one fantastic place to go, and the, the times that I remember most are times that I've shared with locals or with friends that have just been those poignant moments, maybe of, of getting to the top of a pass and having a fantastic view, uh, or sitting down inside a nomad tent and sharing um, 
some some tukpa. Um, they're they're really uh, my, my my mind is 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 overwhelmed by those memories and experiences, and everywhere has something good. So in Ladakh, uh, in going, uh, I prefer to go in July before the main tourist season of August. Uh, you get the, basically the place to yourself wherever you go, and if you can mix up with with the locals, with the nomads that are in the hills, you're going to have a, an amazing experience. Uh, Fuksumdo Lake in Nepal. If you go there in in October, just after the monsoon, the water is this amazing translucent turquoise color that you cannot. It looks photoshopped. It is a scene that absolutely does not not look real, um, but you're there and you know it's real. Uh, and and I, I quite enjoy those moments where you're fighting with reality because reality just seems too good. Um, Bhutan. Bhutan to me is somewhere that offers the most am amazingly tranquil, calm, centering experience you can have. Uh, I think maybe there's too much oxygen in the air there. There's too many trees. I don't know. <laughs> maybe we're not used to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it is it is this nature overload, and you come away from it um, floating. It's just an amazing place. Um, so okay. look, there's there really. There's no one location that that springs to mind that says, "Wow, that's that's the best." Like, there's no one child um, that springs to mind to say that's the best. There are plenty, plenty, plenty of. Yeah, and it's just, it's like you were saying in the beginning. It's it's super long and it goes through all sorts of different terrain and stuff like that. Um, again, it's somewhat hard for me to picture. But when when you're doing some of these treks, I mean, I assume there's probably some day treks where you could base yourself out of out of a certain accommodation. But is there opportunities for camping along some of these these trails? The the, the majority of the treks in Nepal, uh, remote areas, require camping yeah. equipment. Um, so tea houses, which are the traditional places people stay in, um, are very common on the main tourist trails. You'll find them all over the Annapurnas, all over the Everest region. Even in the Everest, Everest region, they have luxury lodges now um, where they provide you with a hot water bottle and a, and a nice duvet at night. Um, you get off the main trails, you get away from the main tourist trails, then you start talking about, okay, if there are tea houses, they're going to be more basic. Um, and when I say basic, you go from something with beds and doors all the way down to a, you know, basically a cow shed. Um, and it, it, it just depends on the trail and how remote you want to go. That's true for Kenchanunga, Makalu, Manaslu, Dolpo, Mustang. Um, all of the uh, Langtang is kind of coming back together after the earthquakes. Ganesh and Mal is coming back together after the earthquakes and I think those two central Nepal areas will be up and running um, by October 2016, by October this year. Um, as for India and Bhutan and the more the far west of Nepal and, and the remote areas of Nepal, you need camping gear. Um, they're just, they're, there are not sufficient communities with spare rooms. Um, they're very poor communities, so they, they have a subsistence, subsistence life, and they're just not in a they're just not in a position to be able to offer facilities to tourists. Um, yeah, and serious mm. camping skills, you reckon, or just you know your average weekender camper would be able to handle the conditions out there. 
Look, again, it depends on the trail. If if you're going to go away for just four or five days with some camping gear in Himachal Pradesh, you know, go for a walk out of Manali, up one of the side valleys, um, sure, it's weekend camping skills territory. Uh, you follow main trail, there's plenty of water, plenty of campsites, carry some food and a little stove and off you go. Um, if you want to start doing some of the more serious stuff, especially if you want to start crossing passes, uh, then you, you really need to be an experienced outdoors person. Um, and I, I can't underestimate ever the necessity for practical outdoor skills in the Himalaya. The weather can change very quickly and ferociously. Um, there, are, there are people that do go missing because they're not adequately prepared. Um, now, I was a Boy Scout, so I'm sorry if I, I harp on about this stuff. Uh, I, I believe that this be prepared concept when you go into the outdoors is really very important. Um, sometimes people overestimate their skill level and then they run into trouble. So if you're not sure that you have the skills, find someone who can assess you or tell you or do a course or better still, just for your first trip to the Himalaya, go with a company or, or go with a local operator that can give you a guide and help you understand the environment. And then you've got the rest of your life to go back again and again and again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's bloody amazing that you've you've designed this great Himalayan trail and and the maps and the resources you provide. So, maybe for our last question, like what's what's next for Robin Boosted? Oh, well, I have a uh, an an interesting list of places that I'd like to go, none of them are easy to get to. Um so I'm, I'm talking to some folks about uh, doing some more stuff in Arunachal Pradesh. Maybe we can go out there later this year. But the access to the areas that I want to go to is extremely difficult. In fact, no uh, Westerner has ever visited some of the, some of the valleys there. Um, so I'm still trying to work out whether we can do that. I've got a, a very long list of priority treks in Nepal. And now that they're getting... The earthquake damage is, is getting repaired. Uh, there's a lot of trails to revisit, a lot of communities to revisit and see how they're going. Unfortunately, uh, the rebuilding effort in Nepal has not been as substantial or as rapid as it needs to be. Mm -hmm. People are suffering in the winter. Um, so it, it will be good to go back there and, and have a look and see what's going on. Um, but next week, I go back to spend some time in Kathmandu talking to the trekking agents uh, and, and seeing what's going on from an industry level because there's there's there appears to be that after the earthquakes there was a huge effort and a great deal of goodwill to fix things and and get the industry working properly and that all kind of fell apart um in september october time but there it there seems to be that will is coming back again and and i'd like to talk to the trekking agents association and some of the industry people about about 2016 and how we can make it as good as possible. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for uh, sharing your your time and the story with us. Uh, it just makes me want to go off and trek for months on end. So thanks uh, for sharing your passion with us, Robin. No worries at all, Scott. It's a pleasure. Wow, Scott. You know that's almost overwhelming information. I mean, I know the trail is mm. like six thousand kilometers long, and 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 I imagine it, it is understandably difficult for him to pick his favorite spot or what's the best beginner spot. But it kind of makes me curious to to learn more to go online. I, I want to see a Google map on our show notes so that so I can understand it better. Just because it seems like you know there's a lifetime's worth of adventures in in this one 
trail network. Yeah, it is overwhelming. And I mean, I met the guy many years ago. I've spoken to him before. I've looked at the website and I'm still a little befuddled. There is a ton there. And you know, his website, Great Himalaya Trail, which we'll have in the show notes, it, it has a ton of stuff there from like countless, countless maps or remote destinations to kind of everything you need to know. So, I mean, it is a massive trail. It's a massive project. People could spend the rest of their lives walking it. And uh, yeah, I can't imagine take like he's taken on this project and you know what's kind of admirable about it is that he he did it as something he just wants to do but it in an ecotourism sense it has a, a real standing because i know he spent a lot of time in nepal trying to get tour operators on board trying to get tour operators to do portions of it and then those people coming in bring in employment and money into communities so he's really creating like a new sector and, and it's really cool in that respect yeah, you know, and, and hearing him talk about, you know, how big it is and, and the need for guides in certain areas or, or expertise and whatnot, like it, it definitely seems to me like you would want to go and check out his website without a doubt before going to, to do something like this, just because of the knowledge that he has about the network would probably enhance your experience so much. Yeah, and some sections are in the major routes, like he mentioned, you'd be bumping into other travelers all day. Well, the, the vast majority of is probably way out there and you're not going to see any other travelers so planning is definitely key but you know i don't think there's a whole lot more i can say about it except that i really admire it boy i hope sometime in life i could attempt the whole thing and uh make sure you go to the website and check out our show notes we'll have maps and and links and all that kind of stuff yeah for sure and uh we'll be back in two weeks with another exciting episode so uh thanks scott for joining me thanks listeners for joining us yeah you want to take us out yeah, thanks uh, for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Talk Travel Asia. Until then, travel safe and often. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall in Portland?